Welcome, bienvenue, to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. Around about the time that we were polishing off our uh, second Coors Light at Fenway this weekend, I noticed that Chris Sale had racked up quite a number of Ks during that game. We saw some live baseball. I know, live baseball. Yeah, nothing like uh, going to Boston to taste the Rockies. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Chris Sale ends up with 12 Ks. I don't know about you, but I uh, they they just got racked up. I didn't even notice until we were 10 Ks in. I know. I didn't even notice either. It wasn't like he was having a truly dominant, like, one, two, three, sit down, one, two, three, mm-hmm. sit down. Like, every single, I mean, how many pitches did he have through four innings? That oh, was like 50 insane. pitches through he four was... innings. I mean, he wasn't going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Every at-bat was an adventure. That's two weekends in a row that I got to see Sale. Yeah. You uh, you, you got a real good live look at him. And uh, we also got a real good live look at uh, Blake Snell, who... Is apparently done something horribly wrong to piss off the Rays manager. I know, and I don't remember who the Rays manager is. I'm pretty sure that it's Clippy, but I don't know, or maybe just some other random computer. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, just really hates Blake Snell. Just left him out there to die. We're, you know, we're sitting there. What he he'd let up five runs by the middle of the fifth inning. We're we're just like looking out at the bullpen. Nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. Like, I wow, I guess they're really going to let him finish this inning. And then they send him out for the next inning as well. <laughs> I know. I mean, the greatest thing was when you pointed out that John Philip Sousa was <laughs> looking yes. at the bullpen. <laughs> it just kept on looking over his shoulder at the bullpen like, uh, we got someone warming, it's, guys? Yeah, it's not, it's not good when your right fielder is trying to telegraph to the bullpen to get somebody up. It's <laughs> just like, come on, guys. Uh all right, well, let's get over to the other fantasy world. Uh, George R. R. Martin released a kind of he he sounded hot. He sounded hot on his blog. He was uh, talking about the uh, spinoffs. And um, have you have you seen I that? Did. Of course, what he wrote. I seen that. Oh, I'm, 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 <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm a I'm quite up on not a blog. <laughs> I mean, it's it's great that he writes a couple like five thousand words a day on that blog instead of. Finishing well, have you read that five thirty eight post about the way they tried to estimate how many non Game of Thrones words he's written? <laughs> oh, I know he's <laughs> written like a whole Wheel of Time. Yeah. Uh, go, Come on, in buddy. The last like month. But anyway, that's not the point. It is that's crazy. neither here nor there. A couple of interesting tidbits. We were correct in that these are not true spinoffs, a la Joey and. What other shows, whatever other shows he mentioned, but these are just based on the canon, which is cool. So they're like prequels, essentially, as we were alluding to with our conjecture last week. But I know to Robert's Rebellion, they're not going to do that as a show. I think maybe they thought that that was going to hit a little too close to home with the things that are happening. Yeah, well, he said something about it being like a repeat and like you know, we'll know everything by the end of his books. But that doesn't mean 
that like young Ned couldn't still happen, like up to the point of the rebellion. Yeah, like young, young. I agree. I mean, I thought that was one of the more compelling things that we discussed last week in terms of possible options. Although I, I mean, I would, I would go back earlier too. There's a lot of stuff that happened. Oh, absolutely. But we, I think, what do you, do you, would you go for North or would you lean for South? I mean, I sort of knee jerk would love to get more North backstory. Yeah, of course. I mean, they've done this show really great to make you feel sympathetic towards the Starks. I mean, the books as well. But even in the books, you kind of are like, you know, Callan kind of did screw things up, didn't she? She really did. (laughs) No, yeah, some Southern stuff would be really cool. Or just even following the Targaryens leading up to the Rebellion would be fun. I I could use a lot more Old Town time, personally. Yeah, absolutely. No, that would be really fun especially to see just follow some maesters day to day i mean that seems like your life right (laughs) thank you but yes (laughs) (laughs) all right anyway this week on the pod eric is going to talk about growth curves if you uh, are familiar with the aging of children then this will be near and dear to your heart and i am going to start to turn the crank on the stat cast machine as part of a multi-week dive Take it away, Eric. So I've seen a couple of growth charts lately, and I was just looking at them, and they are they're great to look at. And it's really easy to comprehend because the growth of a human child is linear, <laughs> typically. <Okay. laughs> and, uh, and so a growth chart, just for anyone who's, who's not really aware, a growth chart... Um, graphs a child's growth over time and typically they they talk about is is a child is a human on on the curve the curve is is setting up different um it's not quartiles typically on on the growth charts that that you actually look at different curves though to approximate 50th percentile 90th percentile fifth percentile etc of a um, child's growth they'll do weight, height, head circumference. So they're very interesting to see because it's really it, it's really intuitive to look at it and be like, oh, look at that! Look at the baby's in you know right in the middle range. Or sorry, just real quick, head circumference. Head circumference. Yep. You know, honestly, I couldn't I couldn't guess what my own head circumference is, so I could not assess what even a conceivable normal range would be, like height, weight. I can handle, you know, looking at a baby and estimating those things, (laughs) but like head circumference. I was thinking to myself, how can I look at fantasy stats in this way? So I've been kind of racking my brains on this and um, I put together a lovely, lovely script um, that had a great function for... um, graphing a statistic that you want to look at, a scoring statistic um, for a position from last year's stats, so from 2016 stats by week, and then charting on top of that a player of your choosing. Um, Unfortunately, I was trying to do too many things at one time and lost uh, my script to the the computer gods, not the um, North Korean computer gods who are hacking everybody right now, but regular ones. Um, but Mike, 
how do you like this idea? How do you, does this make intuitive sense to you? I think this is a great way to look at it. Um, I am a big fan of looking at something that's like a trend line slicing in a slightly different way. So you can sort of see what I like about looking at a growth chart is that, especially one where we've got time resolution, is you can see whether they're, um, it sort of glosses over the hot and cold streaks. Yeah, exactly. Is something that, that I really like about that. So you're getting a, a rolling average, but also the context for that rolling average. Yeah, and you can even see, you can see see some of the, you can see the trend and you can see the slope between two different points and like kind of like, wow, look at that jump up. Mm-hmm. So what I've got here, so as I said, I created this this script to do, uh, that had a function to create a growth a growth curve for each position so that I think was something that one of the decisions that I had to make early on we're not just looking at every single player we're looking at these by position and uh, developing the different curves 50th percentile etc um, for each position by the statistic one point that I found pretty early on and this just is though this just informs the way that we read these there are a lot of zeros out there. <laughs> a lot of players, a lot of players end up getting on these charts with zero values. Um, with uh, you know, someone has nine at bats in week number one, zero RBI, zero runs, zero home runs, zero hits. You know, and they're going to uh, alter the distribution. Basically, it it all these stats have a somewhat normal distribution except for all of the players that are stuck at zero at the beginning. Was that a, is that a function of managers choosing to play them or not or is it a cold streak function? Um well, I think over time it's a little bit it's a little bit of both hmm. and that's what makes it hmm. difficult. That's what makes it difficult to parse out because we want to have zero values. We can't just like remove hmm. them. Because there is, there are players that were, you know, that were five for forty over the course of a week, and they had no RBIs, no runs. Um, so we can't remove those zero values. But then we want to figure out what the cutoff. Like eventually, I might want to make this more fantasy relevant. Right now, it's more baseball yeah. relevant, and we know that in fantasy, we're trying to get that top. 25% of the league typically, but in a uh, top 25% of probably all of MLB. Mm-hmm. So um, we just have to keep that in mind right now as I figure out how to parse out some of those those zero values that we don't want to be considering. The guys that came in for one um, one game and didn't really do anything. You know, they played one one game at yeah. – def- defensive first baseman you know now that said that said you do have my boy plotted here and uh he seems to make a mm-hmm. pretty good looking graph my boy of course being cory dickerson who we did see over the weekend right indeed he got one he got one at bat <laughs> and and man did those uppercuts not connect with the ball <laughs> no they looked beautiful but yeah they did not the ball and the bat did their planes did not cross unfortunately but he is he does show up on this actually better than i thought but the way that he jumps around between percentiles concerns me oh, a yeah, little bit it's really tough 
Yeah. So yeah. So what I've done here is I, I've taken four players, um, at four outfielders, looking at runs. That's what we're looking at today. Um, Corey Dickerson is one of the players that we have graphed here, and he really jumps. He jumps between basically the 50th percentile to like somewhere between the 75th and the 90th, and then this last week, boom, right on the 90th percentile line. I mean, Corey Dickerson though is is such a such a crazy hot and cold player. You can see it in this chart, oh, absolutely. right? <laughs> As opposed to somebody like the guy that you paired him with, Charlie Blackman, who is just like, mm, I'm going to pretty much always be in the 90th percentile to 95th. Yeah, up, <laughs> he's just, up, up. He's just up. a big he had kid. One cold he's just week. like a big kid all the time. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, these are interesting. So we've also got Cole Calhoun, who's a perennial run-getter being ahead of Mike Trout. That's really helpful. And Jose, ba- Jose Batista, Mr. Joey Bats. Um, these were interestingly four when you like really study them four very different graphs. Yes, no, I I agree, and it's not. I can sort of come up with ways to characterize them, but Cole Calhoun and Jose Bautista, and even to an extent Corey Dickerson, it's not it's not clear that there are appreciable differences in the way that they're accumulating their runs. Right, though I mean I. I would say it's pretty clear that Jose Bautista is underperforming based on yeah based on this graph. Yeah. And, and to a lesser extent Cole Calhoun, but I think we don't have quite as lofty expectations for Cole Calhoun. I personally have very low okay. expectations for Cole Calhoun. I know you have a little bit more of a soft spot for him. But yeah, and then Charlie Blackman just has is just on the up and up and up and up for runs. We're talking about runs here. I mean, he's a top 10 outfielder as long as his feet work. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to be posting. I'm going to be posting these and I'm going to hopefully be posting the function up to the GitHub's ASAP. Really, the main takeaway here is that this is, as Mike was pointing out, this is a different way to kind of look at players and their their statistics over the season. And it's a nice little... um, way to see the trend across the whole season longitudinally rather than just you know i think that we're getting we're starting to get into the part of the season where you might be looking at aggregated stats and unable to tell when you should be looking at Hmm. aggregated stats for the whole season this is a little another way to look at the trends it's also another way to kind of start to get figure out what the trend line is going forward and what the track is that the players are on um Really, quite frankly, the only one of these players that I would suggest owning is Charlie Blackman. And <laughs> depending on Corey Dickerson, all over the place. Jose Batista definitely underproducing. Cole Calhoun stuck uh, between the seventy fifth and ninetieth percentile. Again, this is all players. Yeah. So. Well, hopefully, your league is shallow enough that you don't have to own those guys. I mean, those guys are all owned. Have to be must owns in our league. They must be. But you know, talking about trade candidates. Yeah, or, good point. You know, in a shallow league, talking about you know ad drops, some some people's benches are the waiver wire. Yep. Oh yeah, very true. So everyone, take a look at these, and more to come. In the middle of that discussion about growth charts, we realized that we didn't know a fact about a crucial piece of baseball wear. Here's the outtake. 
No, and it doesn't correlate with hat size either. Oh, really? Well, then I'm then I'm totally useless. I don't know what hat size is. Is that? It can't be. It can't be radius. Now I'm like. <laughs> like... No, no, it, it's all confused, right? Huh? Is it diameter? No, seven. What is it? I don't know. I guess. All right. Well. So I am starting a multi-week dive on stat stabilization. That is, how many of X events do you have to see before you believe Y stat? Mm -hmm. I was originally thinking about doing this by games. So as in looking at how many games do you need to see before you believe the average number of runs that a player gets in a week or in a game. Um, but then I was thinking about plate appearances. Games was a little too coarse. It was never stabilizing. And now I'm really thinking about pitches. Even plate appearances oh weren't quite wow. enough. Suffice to say, I turned what I thought was going to be a simple one-week project into something that's going to last, let's go with three weeks? I'm going to try and wrap it in three weeks. But there's interesting stuff along the way. Today, I'm going to talk about one of the things that I looked at at the mid-step, which is the plate appearance level and the realization that we probably need to go deeper on pitches to get anything useful out. The whole point of this overarching project is trying to assess, similar to last year, when we determined that 21 games was a reasonable time to get a picture of a whole picture of the player. Trying to figure out on a slightly finer level if we can tease out um, something on a smaller sample size so that you can be just even one waiver wire pickup ahead of the other guys in your league <laughs> more sure yeah in part i was thinking about this last week we looked at a plot of where hits in the league fell as a function of launch angle and launch velocity and we talked about this relationship between these where they've got sort of the, the regular base hits and then you've got the extra base hits and it turns out that 538 had actually already covered something like this last year using statcast data Boo. Coming to almost exactly the same conclusion, you know, got to give credit where credit is due, but we did come up with this independently. So in the future, you know, like in Wikipedia articles, when they say that they were independently developed, I think we get credit. Yeah, absolutely. No, we're taking credit. <laughs> but it turned out I was looking at this plot, which is, again, the launch angle. So the speed at which the ball comes off the bat versus launch angle or launch speed versus launch angle which is the angle that it comes off the bat and we were talking about how obvious launch angle can be at some times and we were actually thinking about this when we were at the game on saturday mm -hmm. watching the ball come off the bat and thinking like oh i think that was about a 60 degree hit and it went way up and was an infield fly <laughs> or and yeah yeah caught by the right outside of the diamond that's right and so but what i wanted to do was use that overarching league uh, thing to try and determine what we could learn about individual players from that. And so the first up is trying to interpret where um, players' hits fall on that graph and try and make a cohesive story in terms of scouting. So one of the things that I was hoping mm -hmm. to do was to create a narrative where we could look at these charts, where you could look at a chart of the launch angle versus launch speed and the other thing that I'm looking at is their spray chart and try and come up with a simple scouting report for what kind of a player a hitter is. All right, let's start with an easy one or a, what I think is a relatively easy chart. And these are the guys that are just solid batters. You look at these and nothing stands out too much. I'm going to call these elite contact batters. 
And my two examples here would be if you look at the spray charts for Jose Altuve and Freddie Freeman. When you look at these, you look at the spray charts, they hit to all fields, meaning that they're not swayed to opposite or pull hitters like some guys. These aren't guys that you're going to really run the shift against because there's no point. They'll just hit it out of the shift. Yeah. Um, and also, when you look at them in the launch angle versus launch speed, there's no clustering in that plane. So they can they hit they both hit hard with high angles. They hit hard with low angles. They can some of their softer stuff. They can get good angles on the hits that'll make it fall into the the regular base hit track. They can just sort of do it all. There's no way to pigeonhole these guys or strongly predict where. Uh, what kind of a hitter they're going to be. You can see this in the spray chart with if you what I've plotted here is Freddie Freeman's spray chart looking at where his hits fall versus where his outs fall. You also see that Freddie Freeman has hit a number of fairly monster home runs last year <laughs> during the month of August, which is what we're looking at. Absolutely. And he hit it to all fields, which is really heartening. This to me is actually saying that this is something that we briefly discussed over the weekend. I think Freddie Freeman is better than we're giving him credit for. Oh, yeah. Freddie Freeman is pretty good. I, he's just been a bit of an injury risk and a um, roster risk since <laughs> he's on the on Atlanta. Though, I mean, you do say that, but it is it pretty interesting. He's got one infield mm-hmm. hit. <laughs> uh-huh. But if you look at but if yeah. you use his launch speed versus launch angle, he just hits too hard. Yeah. He connects with the ball too hard. It's so... If he connects with it hard enough, it's going to make it out of the infield. So that's where he's making up his hits. I mean, if that one hit that you've got at a launch speed of 90 miles per hour and like a negative 15 launch (laughs) angle, if that wasn't the one that like is in the infield, then I don't know. No, I think that's exactly right. You know, like those almost have to be a big chopper, right? Like the one where you just hit it in the dirt and it bounces over the infield. (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh maybe yeah perhaps been... yeah that or he just like really muffed a bunch <laughs> yeah oh that could that be direction. yeah some of these are so fun to like try and interpret what play was that like what did he actually do mm-hmm. so again these guys are the solid hitters i would say that if you look at a spray chart and a launch angle launch speed plot and you see just even distribution across it that's a good hitter that is a guy to target um, who's gonna get? Who's gonna be solid at the plate for you? That maybe is the least interesting of all the cases. So let's try and look at the two limiting cases here. Oh boy! There's the limiting case for low power, but still a good player, and then the limiting case for high power and also still a good player. All right, and the two examples here are D. Gordon and Albert Pujols, and I'm pretty sure you can tell me which category each one is in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who's able to leg out a single, and who uh, who basically needs a oxygen tank at the end of? That's right. <laughs> and so, if you look at the spray charts here again, as what I've plotted here is everywhere that the ball was picked up by a fielder in the entire MLB. So you get a picture of what the whole MLB is, and then I've overlaid individual players on top of that. D. Gordon. The outfield can probably come in another 30 feet or so based on this plot. <laughs> I mean, seriously, he's never, he's, he's at least 30 to 40 feet in front of where the standard outfielder would stand, according to the MLB. That is, that's pretty insane. Yeah. And, and as you were mentioning to me in, uh, in Boston, also a lot to right field. 
Yeah, he likes to try and slap it through the gap. And one of the things that we were talking about is whether he would actually benefit strongly from being a two-hitter if he's got a guy on base ahead of him, whether that might jumpstart him. And, of course, the Marlins have been batting him ninth recently. I don't know if you saw this. Ooh, ouch. And as supposedly to try and get him started, and this plot kind of tells me why. He's going to be... He's going to have a much more open field if the first baseman is trying to hold someone on first. Yeah, he's going to have a, a lot more space to punch it through. He has absolutely no power to left field. <laughs> it's like none, like no chance. Yeah, that's, but, that's not but he's good. legging out stuff across the whole infield. His infield spray chart is pretty crazy. He's got hits to every position, basically. I think D. Gordon has a very distinctive spray chart that tells you, oh, okay, this guy relies on speed. And I will just tell you that obviously Billy Hamilton's looks very similar to this. <laughs> this doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> I quickly plotted it just to see, like, hmm, what does it actually look like? And so that's a prototypical speed guy, no power. Tells you something about what kind of profile you can expect from him. The converse, of course, Albert Pujols, limiting case for high power here. If it doesn't make it to where the outfielder stands, he's he's not getting to base. <laughs> yeah, there are no infield no. hits. <laughs> that is pretty impressive. Nothing. Like nothing even accidental. <laughs> no. He's got, you know, he's got a decent spray to everywhere in the outfield, and he's got a few that basically go to the wall that probably go over. And of course he's got yeah. he's got a couple just monster moonshot home runs, but that's telling you that the minute Albert Pujols, the minute that you start seeing his bat speed decrease, that you've got to bail on him because he's never going to get hits if he starts to fall out of that um, high speed, high launch angle. Yeah. So this may be telling us, again, I should have said this with D. Gordon as well, this should be telling you that when you look at the hit speed versus launch angle, that if they start to sneak away from the spot that you know that they are going to make hay, then you can start to be worried about their production. All right, so this is a start on, admittedly sounds nothing like stat stabilization, but in terms of takeaways, I think that both, you can't really tell one, you can't really tell the whole story about a player from either looking at their spray chart or just looking at their launch angle versus launch speed. I have a hard time interpreting where individual players lay on that in terms of, all right, well, are they actually good hitters? Like D Gordon looks good on the launch angle versus launch speed. And then you look at his spray chart and you see, oh, he only gets hits if it goes to right field. Like eventually a good defense might be able to really put a stop to that. Yeah. Even the Mets and, and the Braves will figure that out eventually. That's right. And explain why, you know, he can have offers <laughs> against good defenses. And that's a problem. Yep. Because he's got to get on base or he's not fantasy relevant. No, he's not going to just drop a bomb over their heads. Every once yeah. In a while. Really quick side note from my own team here. Uh, Lorenzo Cain is a more valuable version of D. Gordon this year right now. Well, at least D. Gordon plays second. Sure. Because second base isn't the deepest, <laughs> the deepest position right now. <laughs> <laughs> the deepest infield position, yeah, exactly. Uh, other takeaways. It looks like from this, this was, again, an analysis from the month of August in 2016. A month really seems like it's enough qualitatively to understand what a guy is doing, what kind of a character a guy's hitting has. And I think we might actually be able to cut this down a little bit more. You know, the spray charts look pretty stabilized. The hit charts look pretty distributed. We're able to craft a good story. 
I'm wondering if we can even go down a little bit more and we might give that a shot. Dangerous. It's dangerous. So I feel I feel confident in saying that you can slice out any month right now and see all the trends that you expect. I mean, everything that we just laid out for all these players is what you sort of might have intuitively told me if you were a scout and you went to watch these games. So in our quest for uh, data reduction, dimensional reduction, can we... Yeah, can we cut that down from a month to two weeks to one at bat? Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> to three pitches. That's sort of where we're going and what we're trying to figure out. So we're going to keep playing with that over the next couple of weeks. The other thing that we're obviously missing in terms of an equation for stat stabilization is there's no information on strikeouts or walks in these plots. But then again, last week, we seemed to indicate from doing the hits analysis that for a standard five-category league, neither of those things matters. So should I be losing any sleep over folding these into the stat stabilization? No, no. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Well, how about that? No, and I think that we're, as we're seeing uh, to the chagrin of some folks up in higher baseball, K's and walks are just, K's are, you know, proliferating mm -hmm. and walks are um, similarly proliferating. And I think that they're just another category onto themselves that we need to cover. Isn't it? It's like 35% of all um, plate appearances ends in a three, one of the three true outcomes. Yeah, and most of them aren't home runs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the home runs are very low so, on that. Yeah, no, that, that's really true. And that number has been climbing over a number of years. But it's not clear that that's having an appreciable effect on fantasy. Yeah, we'll have to look at that separately. Yeah and then see if we want to fold All right, it. we'll hold on to that. Well, a lot of good stuff, Mike. I want to wrap this sucker up. Let's go for it. Well, we are we are recording at a different time than usual because game 7. I was a little bit concerned, but yeah, they pulled it out. Nice. Yeah, I think Isaiah Thomas is pretty much ready to guard LeBron oh, here. Oh, definitely. I mean, did you see the way that he guarded John Wall? Al Horford. I mean, yeah, Dino Raja 2.0. He's showing the, the new five look in the he's league. He's showing it. He is it. <laughs> but also, the lottery, which might be, that's probably going to be coming out as people are downloading this. I'm a little nervous. I am not nervous because I don't know what the Timberwolves are doing. And even if we have good picks, we botch them. So does it matter? All right, well, speaking of other sports, we did have a fun conversation over the weekend about when the time was to purchase a jersey of uh, for your team. Like, you don't want to, speaking of um, NBA, NBA draft lotteries, I had a Ron Mercer jersey as oh, a kid. Oh, are you serious? That's not one that you should invest, invest your money in. I had a Marcus Camby for the Raptors. You know, you don't. Invest. You're you're, you're more than welcome to wear a Marcus Camby jersey anytime you want in Amherst. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm sure. I, I don't think it would fit me anymore. There was a period of time right after I moved to Massachusetts that I thought about getting a Rondo jersey. Ooh, that would have been a good looking one. Yeah, would have. How about a Victor Cruz one? Oh, oh UMass Victor Cruz jersey. That would have been sweet. That wow, that would have actually been sweet. But there, you know, we were talking actually more about the the best return for your investment and there's like the yeah, clear absolutely. the clear pantheon right i mean in terms of massachusetts sports like get a larry bird jersey if you only want to ever buy one jersey because yeah oh, it's absolutely. never gonna go out of style you're great get a tom brady jersey you know he's already won five super bowls so no matter what happens you can still bask in that i guess i mean 
Bobby Orr is Bobby probably, Orr. <laughs> probably a, a no. Uh, no one's going to say anything. Even other cities are not going to say solid. anything. Very solid. David it. Ortiz retires a hero. I mean, that's gonna that's gonna be a jersey that you can wear for years and years and years. Yep. And then you and then you run all the way down to the the risks. I guess <laughs> you should just never buy the jersey of a closer, right? As just a a rule. No, those Papal Dunder Papal Bond jerseys that we saw were ridiculous. That was so sad. And we've seen Joe Nathan jerseys at Twins games before. Like, oh, I see them every save, game that I go save to. Save you from yourselves. Do not buy the jersey of a closer. No matter how many flames shoot out of the jumbotron when he comes in. No matter, yeah. It doesn't matter how many flames there are or how awesome the walk-up music is for the closer. Just don't, don't vest. <laughs> well, I think that brings us to the review session. Let's talk about a New England Staples friendlies. I have, I actually have a prop for this, which you can't tell in the pod, in the pod world, but I am holding a advertisement that was mailed to my house here. Just proof, proof. So you can, oh, wow. you can verify. And this is, oh, I was wow. looking at this thing and I looked at this and I thought, <laughs> is there a face on that Sunday? Like what's, what's going on with that guy? Yeah, no. Oh, you have to make your Sunday into a oh, face. The, it's the it's actually a new one. It's called the Forbidden Crunch Monster. I find friendlies to be weird. I understand that. I understand that. Um, your comment to me about friendlies was to ask me what my favorite Sunday is, and I'm not a dessert person. And I automatically was like, oh, well, I think it's a, the Reese's Peanut Butter one. And you're like, well, you don't remember the name, but yeah, that's still come on. <laughs> It, it's it's like a huge kids thing. It's like the um, when you were in school, did you get the if you read like two books in a month, did you get the like Pizza yeah, Hut of personal size? It, right. Well, Friendlies is sort of like that, except for there were no there there was nothing except for like bringing kids in based on their ice cream. But see, you guys missed out on the Dairy Queen thing. No. See. <laughs> No, this this nope. review session should actually be friendlies versus Dairy Queen, which is just like a like a full on argument. I think. Well, see, this is okay. So this is my thing about Dairy Queen is that Dairy Queen is is more like a slightly better Burger King. What? Whereas friendlies, yeah, oh yeah, that's I said it. I said it. I went there. Whereas <laughs> friendlies is like a better Denny's. Friendlies is a worse Culver's. I I do not know exactly. That <laughs> <laughs> wow, I think I think we just put our finger on like a big Midwest versus New England difference. I know we've we, yeah we've <laughs> this is not the first time. <laughs> All right, well, time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter. Fantasy Tools, mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, mind the Z. All I've got left is worst of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you, too.